0: Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjoe Gall.
1: Hello and welcome to this segment on CTN. To learn more, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. And the topic for today is clean digital design executed right. And our guest for today's show is Anu Varma, who's the CIO with TE Connectivity. Hey, Anu, how are you?
2: I'm great, Sajog. Thanks so much for inviting me on.
1: Oh, definitely pleasure is all mine. And uh, this is an interesting topic. I'm sure you and many other leaders are actually living this interesting and crazy world of digital. And as they are, and you are, I'm sure, working on these related initiatives, two things come to play. One is, are we designing our digital roadmap and blueprint effectively while staying relevant to the organization, but at the same time looking a little bit in the horizon? And then second is whatever we are designing, can we execute it properly? There have been reported challenges in both and there are some successes. Some people are still trying and some other people have almost given up because it seems that it's totally getting out of control and things are not working the way it is. But let's not say it's a doomsday for anyone. Uh, We are all working towards making it better. That said, let's, let's dig into the first question here. So when when someone says, I want to, or rather an organization says, we want to get into digital and realize our digital dreams, are they really be doing it, thinking and investing in doing it methodically and really investing in, quote unquote, investing versus saying it's cool, let us experiment? What yeah, is the mindset? So, you know...
2: So, Sancho, I think that's a great question, and, and I agree with you completely. There have been quite a few failures. Uh, um, you know, people step into this without um, clear thinking and planning, so I appreciate you bringing this topic up because it is, it is about how do you approach this, how do you plan for this, um, how do you treat this more as a strategic initiative, right? And a lot of people are doing digital to do digital. It is the buzzword of the day, right? We're doing digital. We need a digital transformation. Let's get on that journey. And not really stepping back to say it should just be another strategic business initiative, which always start with what is the business outcome you're going after. And and I think that brings it more you know, from the world of dreams into a more pragmatic, strategic look and also gets you back to how you define strategy for your business, which is often what will this do for my customer? What will this do for my business? What will this do for my customer? And I think the companies that look at it that way, with the business outcome in mind, tend to be more successful because they have a clear kind of north star of this is what we're trying to accomplish with it and not just a maybe a chasing of a shiny object, right? And around the digital world, I'm sure this is your experience and your listeners' experience, there are a lot of shiny objects that are very exciting, you know, for for a person like me who's been a technologist forever. Um... I went to college in the 80s when AI and machine learning and things like this were just uh, theories for us, and exciting theories, but theories because we didn't have the compute power to do all of the the wonderful things we're able to do now. So there's lots of shiny objects, but really the path to success is around how do you treat this as a strategic initiative, how do you get it focused on your business outcomes, and how do you get a roadmap put together that really delivers on those? One of my mantras that I say this to, to my team all the time is, you know, let's spend money to make money. Right. Let's make sure that everything that we're doing is somehow adding value to the company and is going to result in, um, in um, productivity savings, in revenue growth, um, employee engagement, customer loyalty, those types of things that really add significant value. So, for example, at TE, um, we're doing digital transformation and year end to end, right? So, we're a global company. um, You know, almost eighty thousand employees, one hundred and forty countries, a very complex environment with eleven BUs um, serving eleven different industries. And one of the things we said was a front end. That really represented TE globally. But that front end wasn't like, let's go open up an e-commerce store because that seems to be the thing to do. It was really around what do we want to accomplish. And those strategic initiatives in the case of our e-commerce strategies are on growing customers, growing revenue, and creating differentiation. And that differentiation is really important because everybody says that, right? How do you differentiate yourself? It's really about evaluating your market, evaluating your customers and the needs of your, of your customers and your competition, more importantly. What are they doing that either you're not doing and you have to play catch-up or what are they not doing that you can get ahead of and uh, be the first to the door or first to that entry point and really steal market share? And so our e-commerce strategy, really around growth in revenue and growth in customers and differentiation, is what drove our digital transformation on the front end, or is still driving that. Uh, the other side of it is service to our customers. We're doing a lot of exciting things in our contact center. We have agents across the globe, and we are updating the technology and toolset. That they use. But again, the way that we're measuring the success of that, the way that we're designing the roadmap for that is based on the outcomes, which is again revenue growth because these are also, um, they provide service but they also do inside sales, these agents. And so we want to grow revenue. We want to grow loyalty with our customers. We want to prevent churn in our customer group. Those are the objectives that we are going after, and the digital transformation in our contact center is supporting those outcomes. Similarly, in factory, you know, we're doing some exciting work in our factories around IAOT, A lot of focus around connectivity of our machines. Um, we're also doing some exciting things with uh, AI and, and machine learning and predictive, you know, predictive maintenance, predictive quality. So these are exciting things, but, again, they have a clear objective. That objective is, you know, productivity savings. That objective is lead time improvement, STR, which are both differentiating for us in the market and and differentiate us against our our competitors. We want to do those investments in that factory to improve our cost, of course, but then also to... um, to, to serve our customers better and, and differentiate ourselves in the market. And the final example I would share with you is our engineering space. This is one of some of the most exciting work, right? And the power of what the power of compute has been able to do for us in our innovation and our data and devices business, as an example. You know, their customers are Facebook, Google, Amazon. We're supporting the connectivity of their data centers. And these customers, as you can imagine, the growth is enormous. The stability requirements are enormous. And the the technology innovation that we have to keep up with and we have to lead with to serve these customers is huge. That's exciting, but also proves to be a challenge. And so one of the things that we're looking at in our engineering space is how do we do more simulation in the cloud? How do we arm our engineers with the digital technology so, they can test out products in the digital space, test for effectivity before it goes onto a factory floor and becomes a physical test that we're doing or a prototype to our customers. And also, as we're doing this connectivity on the floor, you know, in the industry 4.0, all this data that's helping us improve productivity is also able to be fed back into our engineering. Um, solution development to say, okay, this is what we've learned from what we've developed before. This is how well these products worked as we manufactured them. Here's an, op- impo- an opportunity to improve the design based on those learnings and effectively use the production data back into our engineering environment um, to help us drive the the better designs, and of course, increase our speed to market, which as you can imagine in this space where you know, we, we're delivering 5G and thinking about 6G in the future, um, it's critical that speed to market is absolutely critical for us.
1: Now this is a very very comprehensive answer that you gave, and I I like the depth to which you went because you gave some real examples. Now one thing which does come up where the pendulum swings sometimes to extremes. Either we say we are too crazy about the new toys that we are finding, and that's why we try to chase them. Other times we just say, oh yes, it is yet another business initiative which will, of course, require us to connect it to revenue growth or um, you know the productivity improvement. But there's something to be said about digital, which is that it brings some disruption or it has the potential to bring some disruption and resetting and rethinking the way we have been doing things. And in the interest of relevance. Relevance, of course, today, but also in the future because our business models are changing, customers' needs and demands are changing. The overall approach to how things can be done is changing. So if we just stay focused on what I can do to make more money now or shave more costs now, mm-hmm. we are actually leaving some potential on the table to redefine and enhance our overall, our in fact, improve our overall DNA to stay relevant. Mm-hmm. But that portion right. gets missed. Where Where is the issue? People are oblivious about it or they don't believe they should invest in it because that is true investment where you don't have an immediate ROI. But that investment is not happening as one would expect. Why? Right. Yeah, so one thing I would
2: say, Sanjay, and I'm a, a big believer in enterprise architecture. Um I, I consider myself woke if I can say it that way, because um I do think that you get to a mo- moment with enterprise architecture where the light goes on and you go, Oh wow, you know, this is the this is the answer to so many of these types of questions where this could be answered. So for example, um in in, in our factory space as an example, um we're, we're, you know, working on our digital transformation, the three- to five-year roadmap, but that is being driven by a, a capability assessment, and I don't mean just our current capabilities in the factory, but what are the capabilities that we need for the future? And then working backwards from there, and saying, "Okay, what are our gaps?" In law? And let's put that three to five-year roadmap together on how do we get to a smart factory um, that is ready for the future. So, for example, um, you know, if you look at the supply chain is a perfect example. The evolution of what's happening in the supply chain is so rapid, you know, from companies like UPS and uh, FedEx and these companies that are Amazon, of course, that are driving this um, totally digital supply chain network. We need to be thinking about what is this going to mean to our customers in the future? You know, are they going to have their digital supply network? Are they going to be future, you know, how are they going to be looking at that supply chain and the digitization in that supply chain? What? What are their needs going to be in that future, and then how are we going to meet those needs? So, we're doing a capability assessment, um, just like you would do any other EA type of exercise, but it's focused on on the factory capabilities of today, which answers the gaps of where are our gaps now that we need to plug, but it also thinks about the future of what will be needed, and then you come backwards to say, okay, how am I going to close those gaps with digital technology? and put that investment plan together to say, over the three to five years, this is where I need to invest. And these are the capability gaps I need to close. And um, that gets you thinking in that future space. So it's not a a blank page, throw a dart on the board and say, oh, I need to get digital in the future. I need to think about this. But again, a very strategic way of looking at what capabilities am I going to need in the future? Let me brainstorm all of that. I think this is where it's going. I think these are the ideas that are coming up. Um, I've heard a lot of, you know, these types of um, discussions happening. This is what Amazon's doing. Now let's work backwards. Where are we and how do we close that gap?
1: So I totally see the value of enterprise architecture. Now, one aspect of this is how about if enterprise architecture, suppose we use, we are almost front-ending with how will we execute it? And mm-hmm. if you were to preempt ideation with minutiae of the execution, then ideation process could potentially suffer. And the natural tendency of us looking at what's going to be good for us first, we should see what's even possible and not taint that ideation juices, ideation based juices, with. What will work for us or not work with us? So, in fact, abstracting or, or 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 divorcing the ideation and execution could actually help both parties. Yeah. At the very stage of you know envisioning this whole thing, but we see like you know you, your your response was we will always look from business lens and always look what yeah. would I need. But do you know what you need at all times? We don't.
2: No, and I think. And this is where the ideation comes in. So the other example that I would use for you is, you know, in our contact center space, we have a, a, a new leader who came in to the company. And as she developed her strategy, she, she did her assessment and came in with, you know, um, here's my gaps in people, process, and technology. And... That, to me, was, as you can imagine from an IT perspective, that's an awesome way to look at things, right? You're not coming into to me saying, uh, hey, Anu, I've got all of these technology gaps. You're coming to me and saying, I've got a people, process, and technology roadmap, which is, which, was, um, which is a recipe for success in my mind. So I was very excited with that. But the way that we approached developing a roadmap was very business-centric in that. And, and the ideation was segregated from technology, So what we did was talk about what are the capabilities that she needs for her goals around people process technology. So she has strategic goals on customers she wants to grow, revenue growth, um, and um, capacity growth in in her uh, resource capacity. These are her strategic initiatives. We worked down from there to say, okay, What are the capabilities that support that? What are the drivers that can help us close the gaps in those capabilities? And one of the final things we said was, what is technology? And that technology, and so it's a very business led exercise in getting to, hey, here's the gaps in my world for the future, for the current. Um, This is what I think I need. And then the technologists from from my IT organization come in and say, okay, these are the drivers and these are the gaps that you want to close. Here's some um, ideas on innovation and technology that can come into play now, and let's start putting that three- to five-year technology investment plan together. So it is allowing that business activity and that ideation to happen separate from um, a technology discussion, and the technology discussion comes in afterwards.
1: So, you definitely shared stories about what you you did, some ideation, some execution, so many things are underway. So, if you were to look back, are there any lessons learned? Are there any mistakes which you could safely share were made in the ideation process, or I'm sure there is resistance to anything new? So, what would be the pitfalls, the gotchas, the mistakes, the resistance, the rejections that you went through, as you even worked on the design, let's not even talk execution for a second, just as you started painting on this blue sky, what was the experience? Yeah.
2: So I will tell you a a, a pitfall that I see many places, and and actually coming into TE, I've only been here for one year, I was happy to see that that pitfall hasn't happened to us, that that our strategy around digital, which was already underway when I got here, um, had already taken into consideration, and one of the biggest pitfalls in digital is you think about customer, you think about the customer experience, you're thinking about um, your business outcomes, you don't necessarily think about an end-to-end transformation and so your front end experience for your customer is wonderful right easy beautiful personalized that's one of the most important things is how do we create a more personalized experience for our customers but then on the back end of your business those front end capabilities are being supported by hamsters on a wheel Right, because it's still all manual, takes a lot of effort. Um, and, and one of the places that we saw this happening a little bit is in our e-commerce. You know, we, we wanted to open up an e-commerce store, and, but we knew that we would also have to invest in product information and making sure the right product information, accurate product information was available to that e-commerce store. And so we had to do the work and the investment on the back end to make sure that in, that that it wasn't the hamsters on the wheel. It didn't require a lot of human power, right, to feed the front-end experience. It was an end-to-end a view of it, and we were doing the full transformation, not just focusing on the front-end. And that's a pitfall I've seen myself in in my past career, but I've also seen it um, and heard of it from other customers that are like, oh, they're so focused on that front-end, right, because that's the shiny object and not understanding, um, to really realize value, it needs to be end-to-end. And that means you have to think about your SAP integration or your engineering systems integration. The less sexy things, right, the less um, uh, visible-to-the-world to things, but those are also critical to, to the success of
1: the Faram. Okay, so another thing we should talk about is... Digital by design is fluid. It's not something uh, you cannot design based on a current state, if you will, because even that is transient or there is always something shifting and we are evolving. When you think about design, do you really go blue sky painting or do you take some parameters, create a very big box Mm -hmm. and then do design? what would a good design approach entail or what kind of loosely hinged box that you would create which will give you the flexibility and keep the room so that if there are shifts happening, you're able to accommodate them?
2: Yeah, I think that's a great question, Sanjo, because one of the shifts that's happened for me mentally, uh, and I was just talking about this to some colleagues, is we need to stop in thinking about technology in terms of the way we've always looked at technology, right? In in IT, ERP is an example. We look at things from that 10-, 15-year lens, okay? We're investing in an ERP system. It's a 10- to 15-year investment. You know, we're not going to easily be changing that. The, The digital space is evolving so fast, there is so much transformation happening in the technology landscape and the ecosystem of new um, new uh, suppliers coming in, new vendors coming in, lots of innovation happening. You have to start thinking in terms of the three- to five-year roadmap. And you have to think about um, how do I invest now in a technology and, and I can see the ROI on that, right? You know, we're doing this... Um, in our factory right now where we're creating a um, digital SPC for quality, right, so that you can r- near real-time monitor the production and see that it's deviating from the constraints that you have and that you may need to make some machine adjustments and then eventually do a closed loop and, and um, make the adjustments automatically. So we're doing that, and the technology platform we've chosen You know, there is some debate. Is this the right platform? Is this the wrong platform? Um, Is this, you know, will this be the right platform in the future? And all of these types of questions. And we had to step back and say, what is the ROI on this? Right? And and if the return, you can see a return or payback in 10 months, 11 months, because you're solving a big problem, which is quality and scrap reduction if you can see a payback in 10 months, invest in the technology. Don't worry about where it's going to be in five years, right? Because the logic that you're building in is lift and shift to another platform, to another technology. So one of the guiding principles that we're saying is don't get caught up in these um, IT decisions like you did in the past. And that gives us flexibility because that keeps us open to the evolution that 's happening in the industry on the new new vendors coming into the space, the new innovation that they 're bringing, it keeps us open to those ideas and it 's the logic of how do we solve a problem that becomes our proprietary um, uh, IP right and, and that becomes a, and that can be lifted and shifted onto different platforms. Um, and so that's one of the ways that, that we're looking at flexibility. But the other thing that uh, is a pet peeve for me is, you know, one of the things that drives me nuts is we have this idea of an all-you-can-eat buffet. Because there's so much going on, because your email box is bombarded by, you know, technology vendors promising um, nirvana with their, <laughs> with their tool, there's this idea of there's all these different things we can do. Let's go after that. And what I've been what I've been really pushing for with our business leaders is let's get away from this idea of the all you can buffet all you can eat buffet to the three course meal. Let's bring back focus on what's most important. And in fact this you know, our our CEO talks about this all the time, mind what matters. And mind what matters means really focus on that three-course meal. These are the things that I'm going after. Let me focus narrowly on that. Then let me go to the next big things instead of diverting your focus and trying to do 20 things at once. And um, which you know could also lead to to failure, but it doesn't give you the flexibility, right? You're tying yourself into all of these different areas, and you're not really focused on driving what is going to deliver the biggest outcomes for you.
1: Now, the same way, like you, this is, I mean, I I love the way you respond because you're so thorough. Um, (laughs) So, so in terms of the execution, like the way you found some gotchas, some issues or pitfalls when you did the design to whatever level have you like in whatever way you have tried to execute on your plans and, and I'm sure comparing with other, your industry peers who are working on this. Are there any patterns? Are there any things which we should be watching out for or we should improve upon or get ready with before we jump on the execution journey? Because a lot of people are spending money, whether it is on, you know, like cloud foundation or security or talent or analytics. You know, all of these things are core pillars, but all of them are seeing a lot of leakage where an investment is done. The outcome is not as desired. And so the company suffers. So did we mm-hmm. jump the gun? Did we not prepare? Where are those, those issues which we have to look at, nip in the bud, and, and do the best job we can by design? Yeah.
2: I think one of the, the biggest frustrations I've seen are, is when it, it, digital becomes part of a siloed organization. And that siloed organization is, in your company is responsible for that digital transformation. Um, when you break that apart from the really the the thread, the 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 excuse me, the network of the rest of your organization, um, and try to treat it as an initiative on its own, I've seen it create a tremendous amount of frustration in the organization, and usually resulting in start-stops and failure. And so my lessons learned here have really been alignment around digital. Digital is not a, a, an entity that can live on its own. Digital is a transformation of your business, so it's an integral part of every part of your business. And so it's important that you get your business leaders, your key stakeholders identified, engaged, helping you define what those business outcomes are, um, and, and that makes sure that you are, of course, bringing in thought leadership there and saying, hey, this is where this can take the business, but are also aligning on what are the Desired business outcomes that they have, and are they committed to helping you get there? Right. So the example of of the products um, that we needed for our e commerce and all of the data that needed to feed that, all of that work was our engineers, or was our, our product management teams across the company, and getting that alignment at the top level and all the way down at the product management level to say. This is what we're doing, and I need your assistance in, and your effort, your team's effort in getting us there. Are we all on the same boat? Are we all rowing in the same direction, right? And what happens if you treat digital as its own entity, got a chief digital officer, he's driving everything, he'll tell us what we need to do, then usually you've got a lot of different boats going a lot of different directions. And you can see where that, that failure is coming, right? And that usually results in, yeah, this is what we thought would happen. It hasn't happened. Let's start over. Let's rethink this. Do we really need digital? It's not delivered the results that we expected. Um, and then when you start talking about, you know, everybody hasn't jumped on the same boat, and it sounds like a lot of excuses, but it's really about, did you get the right alignment in what you were trying to do? And so my, my short answer <laughs> would be, when you talk about digital transformation, it's a business change, and that we know when business changes, you need change management, you need alignment, you need to communicate, 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 and then find a different way to communicate, right, to make sure everybody is, is rowing in the same direction.
1: Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And uh, when we come back, let's continue this discussion and maybe delve a little into the talent area because digital is so dependent on people, our own people, people who we get from outside and the people who could build their skills and talent in this totally new, unprecedented skill mix that we need to acquire and the mindset we need to acquire because that's what it's going to make digital truly happen. But is it happening? What challenges are we facing? How are we tackling those challenges? Let's explore when we come back, please stay tuned.
0: CIO Talk Network with Sun Joke All at CIO You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network with Sun Joke All. To learn more about our program, please visit CIO Talknetwork.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back. So, uh, Let's talk about the very people who make this all happen. We spoke about business alignment. We spoke about people in the ivory tower and, and doing the design and the enterprise architecture, but the mere mortals who are business users, who are the, the people who are connecting with the actual customer and trying to deliver value. Plus, of course, people in technology who would. Spin out these good things or integrate these things to give that seamless uh, fabric, if you will, on which digital will set. All those people are humans. And this is a lot to chew, a lot to swallow, and a lot to embrace. What does that journey yeah. look like, and has looked like for you has it been for you as you're going about this shift?
2: Yeah, so I, you know, I would, I would, uh, I would tell you that this is some of the stuff that does keep me up at night. Um, as is every other leader, we're looking for the right talent, um, and it's not always easy to find. And you have to be creative. And then, how do you solve the problems? Uh, the first thing I would say when it comes to talent is you have to approach it the same way you do everything else. You, you have to approach a strategic view on it. What are the capabilities I need for today? What are the capabilities I need from tomorrow? Um, and really, where are my gaps? And how are my people, um, you know, assessing your people against those capabilities? Um, so as I came in new to this organization, that's exactly what I said. To, to These are the, the competencies and the capabilities that I think my people need in these roles. When um, we did an assessment, and then we allowed the people to work on a development plan to say, okay, here's how you close some of these gaps, and then see if they can, right? I mean, that's part of the challenge is can people bring themselves into the new digital age? And that means things like can they work in an agile project management methodology? Can they work with this new technology? How fast do they learn Uh, how are they at keeping up with all of the changes as we talked about you know the space is evolving so fast how do they keep up with it do they have a passion for it half the 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 battle is is getting people that really have a passion for this and want to do this work um so that's one of them the first things i think is to really assess your current talent but that means you need to know exactly what you need then you start looking at the gaps that you have, and, and how are you going to fill those gaps? Certainly, hiring talent is one way of doing that, um, and it, you know, you want to go find that talent. It isn't always easy, as you think about, for example, in the analytics space and some of the advanced analytics like AI and machine learning, those data scientists are hard to find and very expensive. So how do you bring in some of that talent from the outside and you utilize them as your catalyst? to educate the rest of your team and as a catalyst to kind of raise the bar, bring a fresh thinking and um, certainly um, experience and um, expertise in that space. And then the last uh, peg to this stool is really around how do you leverage your partners um, and the ecosystem around you to fill in the gaps, right? So as you're doing your capability assessment on your talent, what are the capabilities that are more commodity skills, uh, more development skills. They don't require that tremendous amount of business acumen or technology acumen. They, they're more execution-based. Okay, what are my partners that are going to bring me that type of skill in a reliable, quality, quality way, at the most cost-effective way? And then you look at what are my more strategic skills that I need and knowledge and experience, and wh- who are my partners that are going to do that for me? And they may not be the same, right? I think some of our partners... Come to us and say, Hey, you know, I have skills from one end to the other. I can help you with everything. And that may be true. There are, there are good partners in our ecosystem that can do that. Um, but this is where you start looking at some of the more boutique firms and partners and say, You know, who's really got a niche on this? Who's going to bring me the thought leadership, not just execution skills? execution resources and added capacity, but really the thought leadership that makes me think differently about what I think I want to do and challenges us to say, okay, this is what you're, this is what you think you want to do, but here's, you know, here's some things that we've seen that we've we think this is a better approach. You, know, that's, you want to bring some of that into your partner network because there's no way you can really develop a huge talent pool internally or even hire a talent pool internally that can keep up with that. And so it's important to find that ecosystem, those few partners that really push you to the edge and challenge, um, challenge you to, to go above and beyond what you were thinking.
1: So what you, your, your response indicates... Or, or I would not say indicate, but more it's a view where you're looking corporate in, in the sense mm-hmm. an organization, trying, it's like a capability or a capacity issue. How do you fix that capacity? But then, really, the value creators who are these individuals who are supposed to deliver, they may already exist in your company, and yes, you might retool them, But for them to really deliver the experience that you're thinking, it goes beyond just having skills or having a Mm -hmm. performance appraisal. They should be excited about it. For them to not only execute on the orders you give them, because you don't know it all sitting in the ivory tower. That means there will be some ongoing learning. That means these people should be willing to give you feedback that what you gave me, this is was the nuance that we should take care of because otherwise this is upsetting to the customer or overwhelming or customers getting detached because of ABC. But they would not do it if they were not on board. Mm-hmm. The people, the human like the side one. of a talent is what I'm referring yeah. to also. Yeah. No, I
2: think that's really good. Um, the one recent learning... I. Uh, I've had and our, my HR partner has been really pushing us to, to think about how we look at talent. And again, you know, when I talked earlier about kind of our old IT baggage of thinking about things like ERP, right, you need to think in the 10 to 15 years, we have this bias around years of experience in our talent pool. You know, I really need a data scientist that's done this for ten years, or and and I need you know somebody that's really been tested. What we found recently, we did a a project actually with uh, University of Penn. The Wharton School has a customer analytics organization, and we tested this with a, a project with them, a five week project on uh, predictive forecasting in five weeks, with uh, two MBA students, three undergrads, and a, a professor advisor uh, and, uh, who was in um, an expert in data science as well as economics, can we create a predictive forecast? And I was shocked. You know, And I went in thinking, okay, I think we're, we're going to get a lot of value from this, but I was so pleasantly surprised with what these young people were able to do in this short period of time for us. And... My takeaway coming out of that is you know they came to the problem without any bias. This is a generation that has grew up has grown up in this digital world they, in this data world, and they came to the problem without any bias and they solved it without that bias right we they didn 't know a lot about our business or our strategies or anything else. They just looked at the problem in that way and I walked away with a a um an affirmation of what I had been thinking is that we need to bring in more young people and partner them with the people that we have here that do have the experience, that do have the, um, the knowledge of the business and the strategy, right? And one of the things that we've talked about is can you do more apprentice type of or you know, can we create apprentices where you bring these young people in that have just a great fresh way of looking at things, a completely unbiased approach to it, partner them up with somebody that's got more experience. I think both individuals come out of their learning a lot more and you grow this talent and then a different type of talent within your organization. I think the same is true in our in our business side of it where, you know, as these young people that are coming in One of the things I heard a long time ago was, um, you know, Google spoiled it for all of us in IT, right? Because their user interface for Google is one box, blank box. That's it. (laughs) You type anything to it, you get answers, right? And then people come into work and we give them screens and screens of stuff. And so this generation that's grew up with this Google user interface is coming at problem solving at using digital in a different way. How do you partner that up? With the folks that really understand our industry, our customers that have that insight, and and design for that experience in the future. You know how do you how do you design for for, for the people that are using the systems now and the whole generations of people that are coming after? Does that answer your question? Was that what you were looking for, Sanjot?
1: Yes. So so definitely, what what you're talking about. They're the the people who we are getting, the ones who are invited to help execute. This is this is not like a discrete stage type of an effort where you'll design once, you have a blueprint ready, and then you go about executing. Mm-hmm. There will be mm-hmm. design There will be experimentation, there will be feedback collection, or even if you created something substantial, but even that will be continually tweaked. And for that to be done, you need to keep getting feedback. So there are people, humans who are designing it, humans who are executing it. Those two constituents have to be able to work together closely enough and have to be able to respect each other and have to be able to... Openly say that I messed up or you messed up mm-hmm. or we all messed up. Let's go back to mm-hmm. the drawing board. Or maybe what we are thinking, the value, value proposition or so-called a business case we developed, there isn't one there. Instead of only the onus lying on the folks sitting in the ivory tower or the corner office, which requires mm-hmm. a different type of a DNA shift. Mm-hmm. Or a culture. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's, a, that's the word I was going to use. We've, we're having a lot of conversations around culture right now, right? We talk about it often. We need a culture that accepts failure. Um, we talk about, you know, fail fast, learn fast, right? There's a lot of these ideas. Implementing those ideas and actually working that way is a whole different thing. Right. So it's easier to say we support failure. We, we don't want to be a risk-averse culture. Um, one of the things that that um, I learned in some of my leadership training uh, a while ago, um, it, it, you know, I was working with a leadership developer. Her name is Tony Chinoy. She's got some great books out there. Uh, one of the things she asked is, you know, what do you think of your company um, and how do you what is if, if your company was a person how would you describe it and you know we would say maybe okay it's it's conservative it's risk-averse it's it's solid financially you know we would give it all these kind of characteristics if it was a person and then the question was well what do you want your company to be well I want it to be progressive I want it to be um, you know take risks I, I still want to be solid and financial and I want all these other things and the aha for us all as we were listening to this is if that's the culture we want our company to be. That's how we have to behave every single day. We have to come in here. and When we say we're okay with failure, then we have to be okay with failure, and we do have to celebrate it. Um, and celebration doesn't mean, okay, you give everybody an award for failing, but you recognize that somebody took a risk. Somebody took a calculated risk on something. We went out and did it, and you know what? It didn't work the way that it should have, but now the question is, what can we salvage from that? Not just what can we learn from that so we don't repeat that mistake, but what can we salvage for uh, from that, and how can we build something new from what we had started? That type of thinking of, of getting creative about failure and and leveraging failure to open up another door that you may have not even thought of, I think is where we need to be, and and to change the DNA, each one of us as leaders has to behave like that every single day in every one of our um, engagements with our teams, right? And then the next level of leadership so that it isn't something that you drive a, you know, a, a risk culture from the top down. It's really, like you said, part of the DNA because you're living it throughout the organization,
1: Talk about leadership. So, of course, you did what you had to do to meet a business objective. You went and talked about the partners who need to also step up. Where do you need to go as leader for you to be able to do it well? Because it all starts with us, right? I mean, you're an IT leader. You might have a business counterpart. Is there a shift required in the way we perceive, in the way we live our leadership roles, for us to actually make progress, not by fluke, but by design.
2: Yeah, I, I think I, I, I here's here's what I would say. Just like with everything else in leadership, you have to know when to apply what skill. You know, when do I need to be much more conservative and risk-averse and, you know, there, there's maybe even more directive, hands-on, engaged? And, and when do I need to step back and, and empower my team? And so you need to figure out that balance always, right, in leadership. I think digital is the same. Um, there, are, there are proven technologies out here, right? Not everything is on the bleeding edge that we're doing. Um, there are proven technologies, and there's a lot that we can learn from people that have implemented a lot of this stuff, and we can we can you know learn from their failures um, and do it do it right for ourselves. Then there are areas of what we're doing that is really on that bleeding edge, right? Some of the things that we're doing with machine learning and AI for our factory. Um, some of these technologies, these areas, require a different type of of leadership. And that you have to say, okay, um, what is the right balance of investment in that type of skunk works? How much am I willing to to invest in that? How much time am I willing to give it? How will I measure? Um, am I seeing success in that space? Right? When you're truly out there doing skunk work stuff, you have to look at it in a different way. You don't measure it with the same KPIs that you do an implementation of, you know, a. Um, a call center tool, a contact center tool on, um, you know, analyzing our, our engagement data, for example, which is a proven technology. So from a leadership perspective, you can't apply the same levers that you did before. You really have to be open to this. And, and we used to do, always do R&D, right? But not at this level of scale where you're kind of on the bleeding edge and you every time you turn around somebody's invented something new or some other way of looking at it then there's an opportunity to learn and to be honest with you I don't know all the answers to that this is something that is evolving for us as well as we're doing this right so how much leeway do you give to that skunk works how do you measure success when do you know it's ready when do you say okay that's enough investment in that that really isn't going to get us there let's switch gears and go somewhere else um so just like everything else with digital, I would say that that flexibility in leadership is critical and being able to know um, your risk tolerance and where, you, where do you want to spend some of that and, and say, okay, my risk tolerance in this space is kind of low. This should be known technology. Let me go implement that. Um, my confidence level is high there. Here, I don't know. What's my risk tolerance? How do I want to measure it? How do I want to go after that? You have to have that flexibility as you look at the entire end-to-end digital.
1: On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you, Anu, for sharing your views on how organizations can design digital well enough and then execute it immaculately or at least come close to it for the best outcomes. Thanks so much. Thank you,
2: Sanjay. Again, thanks for having me on.
1: And listeners, hope you enjoyed. I got a bunch of nuggets out of this. So please like us on Facebook, search for CTN, and be sure to follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. And close, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. We are on over 20 syndication channels and listen to in over 110 countries. So you can join us too. Thank you again for listening to this segment on CTN. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless.